Ruth chapter 1, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the backs of our seats. Feel free to grab one of those. It's page 222 in those Bibles, if that helps you. And uh, you follow along as I read Ruth chapter 1 this morning. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malan and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to return from the country of Moab, for she heard in the fields that Moab, in the fields of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity beyond me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Thanks, Larry. Uh, I'm Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Harvest. Um, it's my privilege this morning to open up the Word of God with you while... Uh, Pastor Doug is at Harvest North Indy preaching this morning. We're going to be in Roots chapter 1 
and chapter 2 today. Um, Mostly in chapter 2, but we need to look back at chapter 1 to get a little bit of context of where we're at here. Um, I love the story of Ruth. Um, What I love about Ruth is the fact that uh, it's a story about ordinary people. Ordinary people who have uh, experienced the pain and the suffering and the despair and the hopelessness and struggles of everyday life and death. Um, It's a real story about real people asking real questions with a real redeemer. And it's beautiful. And I love it. So let's jump into chapter one. A few things about it. Look at verse one. What's happening here in chapter one? It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. Okay, this is the time of the judges. Remember the last verse of Judges says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is a hopeless time. And and this account, this Ruth uh, Book of Ruth here is happening right in the middle of this time of the judges. And we see there in verses 1 and 2 that there's, there's famine in the land. And Elimelech um, moves his family to Moab of all places. Um, the Moabites were, were descended from Lot's incestuous act with his daughter. Not the best of reputations. Not the most well-liked people. And we see here in this first paragraph even, Elimelech dies. And then over some time, his sons die. And we find Ruth and Orpah and Naomi in mourning and despair after everything that's happened to them. But then in verse 6, we see that the Lord visits his people. There's divine intervention. The Lord has reversed the famine in Judah And Naomi decides that it's time to go home. And she tells her daughters-in-law, go back. And then she tells them again in verses 10 through 13 there, go back, go back. She continues to try and get the women to turn back to their land. She has lost hope completely. She's suffered immensely. And she's hopeless at this point. And you've got verse 14 it says, and they lifted up their voices and they wept. And Orpah kisses her mother-in-law. And she does the logical thing. And she turns and goes back to her people. But Ruth clung to her. She cleaves to her. And then in 16 and 17, we see Ruth's great speech that she gives. Where she says, don't urge me to leave you or return from following you. Where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Ruth leaves family and culture and gives up the possibility of a husband and children to go to an unknown people in an unknown culture. She leaves everything behind to go with Naomi and to serve the Lord. There's, there's covenant language woven down through this. She swears her oath by the covenant name of the Lord, Yahweh, and thereby declares that he's her God, demonstrating her trust in the Lord. A, a side note here. Um, notice at this point already <clears throat> the contrast here in responses between Naomi and Ruth. Both have expressed 
both have experienced suffering and hardship and sorrow. And they both could have been hopeless at this point. But instead of bitterness and hopelessness, Ruth is loyal and loving and gracious. Instead of blaming God, she commits herself to him. Instead of leaving at Naomi's request, she clings to her family in hard times. Hopelessness heightens. It uh, magnifies and deepens in isolation. Um, God has graciously given us a context in which to be reminded of hope in him. And it's called the church. See, for us, it's here amongst our faith family of all places where we ought to be reminded and be reminding continuously of the love and the faithfulness and the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God. See, hope is a community thing. When I'm in that spot, you're, you're pointing me to where the hope is in Jesus Christ. And when you're in that spot, I'm pointing you to where the hope is in Jesus Christ. And then verses here, 19 to 22, the end of chapter one, Naomi comes back with Ruth. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She says, call me Mara, which means bitter. And Naomi has seen her circumstances here improperly. She acknowledges that God's in control of everything, but she still wrongly sees only what he has taken away and not what he has provided and is providing. And then here at the end of verse 22, it says, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And there's a little bit of hope here at the end of chapter one. What started with famine at the beginning of chapter one now ends at harvest. And now we go into chapter two. Are you ready? I'm losing my voice this morning, so bear with me. I'm trying to be really quiet so that I can actually talk second service. Chapter two, here we go. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite, it's interesting, every time we see Ruth, it's got the Moabite attached to it, just reminding us of that. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. See, there was a provision in the Mosaic law uh, that allowed for the poor to to gather crops from the corners of the fields and and to gather up the scraps after the harvesters. And that's what uh, Ruth is saying here. Let me go and see if someone will show me favor and allow me to gather in their field. And it's really interesting here. Then instead of wallowing in her self-pity and hopelessness, Ruth decides that she's going to get to work. This is just so practical. Like, they need food. 
They're hungry. And, and Ruth's getting up and going out to do what she could do here is actually a, a physical step of faith. See, don't forget, she's been through the ringer just like Naomi has. She has every excuse to be wallowing in her hopelessness here, just like Naomi. She had to be hurting still. See, sometimes we find ourselves, when we find ourselves in a hopeless place, there's something to be said for just saying, I'm choosing to do something. It hurts. Like, it hurts to move. But I'm choosing to do something. Lord, help me to trust you. So I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to get something to eat. I'm going to go to work. And I want to say, Lord, help me. And then the next day, I'm going to get out of bed. And I'm going to get dressed. And I'm going to get something to eat. And I'm going to go to work. And I'm going to say, Lord, help me to trust you. See, when we begin doubting the goodness and the faithfulness of God, it's so easy to become hopeless and inactive. And then we become even more hopeless in our inactivity and despair deepens. And we have to remember his faithfulness and we have to take little steps of faith. And we have to remember he gave up his son for me. He loves me. He's trustworthy. Nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And we take one more step and we get out of bed and we go off to work and we go off to school and we cry out, Lord, help me. And she said to her, go, my daughter, in verse 3. So she set out, and she went, and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she just so happened to come to the part of the field that belongs to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please, let me glean. That's humility here. She asked. She said, please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and She continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Couple things from these verses. One thing in verse three, she just so happened. Okay, this verse in the Hebrew is it's it's about chance. It's like rolling dice, but it's used here very sarcastically. So it's like, and she just so happened to be in this field. And the reason we know that is because nothing in the book of Ruth happens by accident. Everything is attributed to the Lord. In 2.20, um, 
Naomi attributes everything to the hand of the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 14, the women in the village attribute everything to the hand of the Lord. Everything in the book of Ruth is attributed to the sovereign hand of the Lord. He's at work in all of this. And then look, she happens to come to the field of Boaz. Enter Boaz, the man's man. Men, be a Boaz. If you're like, what type of husband should I be to my wife? Go read Ruth. She'll agree. Boaz enters the scene here. And the first words uttered by someone in the Old Testament tell us a lot about someone's character. Remember Ruth's first words? It was basically her big speech. And that told us a lot about her character. Look at Boaz. He comes on the scene and he's like, the Lord be with you. And they're like, the Lord bless you. He's a godly man of character. And now she finds herself in his field. Look at verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. In verse 10, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. He's heard about her. And what she's been through. And how she's responded rightly. Even in the midst of hardship. And he is choosing to act in kindness and graciousness. And to care for her. And here we see Boaz is a picture of God's loving kindness and grace and mercy towards us. Question. Do we show kindness to people in this way? Do we show kindness to people in a way that reflects Jesus? Do we show grace and compassion and kindness towards those that are in need, to the hopeless that are around us and among us? Do we even notice Do we even stop and look beyond ourselves and our busyness and listen and notice and care for others? 
Do we stop and welcome others into our midst, even here on the weekends, and give them hope and point them to Jesus? Have you been a Boaz in someone's life recently? Look at verse 14. This is my favorite part of the whole part. She says, even though I'm one of your servants, in verse 14, and then at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here. What? She's a, she's a servant. A Moabite woman. At mealtime, Boaz said, come here. Eat some bread. Dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and then he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and then she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and and do not rebuke her. Are you, are you hearing this? Like the servant, the outsider, the foreigner, the Moabite woman has been invited to the table of the Lord of the harvest with equal status to the other workers. And now he's serving her. He's serving her. And then she eats until she's satisfied. I'm telling you, this is a beautiful picture of the gospel. More about that in a minute. Verse 17. And so she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. No idea what that is. I'll tell you in a second. And she took it up. And went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also uh, brought out and gave her what food she had left over. She's emptying her pockets after she was satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, the man's name with whom I work today, drumroll, is... Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So keep close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Uh, 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 this ephah, it's like <clears throat> anywhere between 30 and 50 pounds of barley, okay? This is no joke. This is a lot of food. Easily would have fed both of them for a couple weeks. I also like it noted that Ruth didn't mess around. She like hauled this back to the city. She was strong. 
Imagine Naomi waiting anxiously for her daughter-in-law to come home, wondering, will she have food? Did someone show her favor? And then she shows up with all of this and her pockets overflowing. It's really interesting that in chapter one, uh, Naomi says that the Lord took her away full and brought her back empty. And now here in chapter two, we see Ruth leaving empty and the Lord bringing her back full. And here in verses 19 to 23, Naomi begins to put the pieces together. This is no chance meeting between Ruth and Boaz. This is God's providence. This is God at work the whole time and Naomi's eyes are opened and her heart is softened to the goodness and the faithfulness of God and she's seen the bigger picture. She sees things in in proper perspective. She can't miss it now. God has been sovereignly working the whole time. And this is a long way from the bitterness that we saw in Naomi's life. In chapter one, as she's celebrating what it is that the Lord has done here. Ah, oh, how much better it would have been if she would have trusted the Lord from the beginning and hadn't walked in bitterness to this point. But she's beginning to see it, that God is sovereignly working all the time. Um, One of my favorite quotes is John Piper who says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of like three of them. God is always doing 10,000 things and you might be aware of like three of them. See, a, a big God and a small me is hopeful. But a big me and a small God is hopeless. If, if, if I'm my only hope, I'm in trouble. And, and Naomi has been living like that and she has shrunk God to her size. And now she begins to see the effects and the implications of God in his proper place. And I want to talk about three of those implications of God in his proper place. First one, when he, when God is bigger than my hopelessness, and he is, when he is bigger than my hopelessness, I trust him even though I don't see what he's doing. When he is bigger than my hopelessness, I trust him. Even though I don't see, I don't understand what he's doing. Pastor Doug has been repeating that God's thoughts are higher. His means are greater. And his goals are superior. God's thoughts are higher. His means are greater. His goals are superior. That's hopeful. Um, Recently, our kids have entered this stage where they've begun to uh, 
question mom and dad's uh, parenting competence. Um, yes, we're just figuring this out now, but they've begun questioning a lot of different things. Um, everything, actually. Uh, <laughs> Dad, do you know how to get there? I, I think you're going the wrong way. Dad, are you sure you're right? I think you were supposed to turn there. And of course, I always give a very mature parenting responses. Listen, I've driven this like a thousand times. Do you have a driver's license? Show me your driver's license. Oh, that's right, you don't. So you need to just be quiet and let the one who knows how to drive, drive. <clears throat> uh, recently, recently, one of my daughters came into the kitchen and she said, uh, uh, Mom and Dad, you, you know we have to eat tonight, right? Like, really? <clears throat> and so rather than respond immaturely, we decided, okay, here's an opportunity to do some good parenting. We're going to ask some good questions, draw out our child's heart. So we said, okay, uh, have mom and dad ever forgotten to feed you? Wrong question. <laughs> she's, she's like, well, like, okay, listen. There was that one time. It never happened again. Mommy and daddy were really busy that night. And we've said we're sorry. So we decided we were going to come at this from a different direction. We said, listen. Do we love you? And they said, yes. Do we want what's best for you? Yes, yes, you need to trust us. But, 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 no, 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 hold on. Do we love you? Yes. Do we want what's best for you? Yes. Trust us. No matter what time the clock says, whether it says four o'clock or midnight, no matter how loud your belly growls, and tries to convince you that we don't love you. You can bank on this. We love you. It's so easy when we can't see what God is doing. It's so easy when things start going bad to forget to trust him. It's so easy to begin to doubt him or to even begin to question his trustworthiness. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn there. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Um, verse 31 and, and following. I'm just going to read it for you real quick. And I just want us to sit in this for a moment. Uh, it says, what, what shall we say to these things? What things? All the things, all the blessings, everything that's been stated in the previous chapters. What shall we say to these things? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Read, read verse, verse 32 there. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He gave up his son for us. He's like, I, I gave my son for you. What more could be given? And yet, we don't trust him. Yet how quickly we forget Christ when things get rough. He took the entire wrath of God for our sins in our place. And in placing our trust in him, we've been united with him in his death and resurrection and nothing can separate us from his love. He is perfectly trustworthy. And I know horrible things may have happened in your life. I know horrible things may be happening. I know it may seem hopeless. I know you may be in despair. I know the world seems like it's fallen apart. None of that minimized. None of that minimized. The pain, the despair is real. But bank on this. He says, I love you. I gave up my son for you. Trust me. I'm trustworthy. I am bigger than your hopelessness. When he is bigger than my hopelessness, I trust him. Even though I can't see what he's doing. Second, when he is bigger than my hopelessness, I'm free to humbly love and serve others rather than sit in my despair. When he is bigger than my hopelessness, I humbly love and serve others rather than sit in my despair. In chapter one of Ruth there, in verses 16 to 17, like this great speech by Ruth of where you will go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your God, my God, where you die, bury me there. Man, she loved Naomi. But this is rooted in more than that. See, she declares her faithfulness to God here. And she swears by his covenant name. And later in chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz says that she has come to seek refuge under the, the wings of Yahweh. 
She's fled to him for her refuge and under his wings there's protection. See, Ruth had every reason to be hopeless here. She'd lost her husband, her father-in-law, brother-in-law, sister-in-law. She had no children. She was, pos- she was leaving her country and people clinging to her grumpy mom-in-law as a, as a despised foreign woman in a foreign land. But there's a root of trust here in Yahweh that overflows in kindness towards Naomi in spite of the lingering potential for hopelessness. And in trusting him, she is free to serve others humbly and selflessly. Philippians chapter 2 tells us how Christ humbled himself. He humbled himself to provide a way of salvation for you and for me, sinners, outcasts, foreigners. And now that I and we have been forgiven, now in gratitude and in joy and in union with him, we're free to humbly serve others and to pour ourselves out for their sake by the power of the spirit that dwells in us as an overflow of my trust in him. Uh, remember, Doug's been talking from Ephesians, how like the, the first half of Ephesians, it's, it's all, you've been blessed, right? Uh, you've been chosen, made alive, raised up, adopted, seated with, redeemed, sealed, saved. Why? So that therefore the second half, you now walk with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with, Ruth-like walking, humbly, lovingly serving others as an overflow of my trust in the Lord. When he is bigger than my hopelessness, I humbly love and serve others rather than sit in my despair. And thirdly, and lastly, when he is bigger than my hopelessness, I can enjoy relationship with him and am satisfied in him. When he is bigger than my hopelessness, I enjoy relationship with him and am satisfied in him. Look there in Ruth chapter two, down at that part that I said was my favorite part in verse 14, um, this feast that's happening. And at mealtime, Boaz said, come here. Come here, Moabite woman, and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. What a picture of what the Lord has done for us. The Lord pursues us. He shows us unmerited kindness. It's because of nothing we've done, right? Uh, Ruth says that earlier. She goes, why have I found favor in your eyes? He invites us to his table as despised foreigners. And he serves us 
And we are satisfied at the table of the Lord of the harvest. Uh, We've been in Ephesians as small groups, and it made me think of this passage here. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. When he is bigger than my hopelessness, there is joy to be had now in relationship with him. And there is eternal joy and satisfaction to be had later beyond our wildest dreams when we're one day with him in eternity. One of my other favorite passages of scripture uh, is Philippians chapter four. Remember what's, what, what's Philippians chapter four, verse four says, it says rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Uh, rejoice in the Lord Always, not just when things are going well, uh, not just when things are going horrible. We have reason for joy when? Always. How? How do we have that? Later in chapter four, uh, Paul tells us, he goes, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. Uh, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He's like, I've learned the secret to contentment, no matter what the circumstances, whether, whether rich or poor, whether full or empty, I've learned the secret to contentment, to joy now, to rejoicing always. And so you're like, okay, what is it, Paul? What's the secret? So he tells us, I can do all things through him. I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. The secret is it's, it's him. It's the one. Well, which one? The one who has accomplished my salvation. The one who is at work in me for my good and for his glory. The one who promises in the midst of hopelessness that one day, There'll be no more tears and death will be no more. The one who one day I will meet face to face and I'll be in his presence and we will enjoy relationship with him fully and rightly forever. That one, that's who. He's the secret. Christ is the secret. Um, uh, In Ruth chapter two, look there, down at... uh, uh, verse 22. Um, actually, verse 21, it starts, she says, uh, uh, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with the young women, lest in another field you should be assaulted. What is she, what is she saying here? She's saying, Don't go looking for satisfaction in other fields. It can be found there. 
Stay here in his field. Don't make the mistake I made, Ruth, and leave looking for food elsewhere. Stay in his field. Harvest. Don't go looking for satisfaction in other fields. The gods of this world have no eternal satisfaction to offer. Stay in his field. Trust him. Enjoy him. Hope in him. Wait in him. Psalm 16 says in his presence there's fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Um, I love then, look back a couple verses in chapter two, verse 20. It says, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord. She's seeing things rightly here. She's celebrating. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative to ours. He's one of our redeemers. Naomi is saying to Ruth, praise the Lord. We have hope. There's a redeemer. Guess what? Praise the Lord. We have hope. There's a redeemer. The gospel is the solution to our hopelessness. And here in Ruth, in the midst of a hopeless time, for both a nation and a person, God is working for his glory carrying out his plan of salvation. Um, And it's really cool throughout the rest of the book, but we're not gonna go there today. And so you'll have to reread it this afternoon and worship through it as you see what God continues to do in this story. When he is bigger than my hopelessness, and he is, I trust him, even though I can't see what he's doing. When he's bigger than my hopelessness and he is, I am free to humbly love and serve others rather than sit in my despair. When he is bigger than my hopelessness and he is, I can now enjoy relationship with him and be satisfied in him while clinging to the hope of doing that fully in eternity. Father, we, uh, forgive us. We're so fragile. Um, and when things get hard, things get bumpy and rough, we're so quick to hopelessness. Uh, so quick, I'm so quick to forget that you love us and that you gave your son for us. Lord, uh, help us to see you right-sized. Help us to put you in the proper place and help us never to try and take that place from you. And and when you are in your right place, sovereign over our lives, Lord, help us to trust you. Even though we can't always see what you're doing. 
and help us out of an overflow of that trust to humbly and lovingly serve others and not sit in our despair, Lord, but trust you. And Lord, we, we ask that you would help us be satisfied in relationship with you now and help us to anticipate with joy and celebration and singing what it will be like to be face to face with you enjoying you fully and rightly with our brothers and sisters forever in your presence in eternity Lord you are good thank you we love you thank you for loving us in Jesus name